with you. Preaching sermons on the resurrection, preaching sermons like these is kind of difficult for pastors. Because I think for a lot of pastors, um, when they are writing sermons, they want to help people. Um, they want the sermons to be relevant so that these so that our people could could be helped. We want the sermons to make a difference in our, in our congregation's lives in this world. And sermons focusing on the resurrection, um, the, the difficult part of it is it's really difficult to make these things relevant um, in our present day situations because these things seems too fantastical. And not only that, these words focuses on what will be in the future. And because I think a lot of, because the resurrection is a difficult concept to be tied to our everyday lives here, I think that's why a lot of pastors kind of don't really teach it in depth. Um, I was at um, the Herndon, John Small Group yesterday, and this is what we were talking about, right? We were talking about how most of us, you know, went, attended church for most of our lives. Perhaps, you know, like every, you know, for people like Kyo and Jamie, they were going to church ever since they were two years, they were going to SVC ever since they were two years old. And all the times that we spend going to church, um, it's rare to have gone to a church that taught deeply about the resurrection. And I think, right, and I think churches kind of skim over this topic. Because once again, it is difficult to be to be to be relevant in our everyday lives here, and it just seems very unrealistic. Let's be honest: the topic of resurrection is not dealt with properly because it seems too fantastical. It seems impossible, right? Um, for example, even the way we do evangelism, right? When we do evangelism, most evangelism takes place, like the way the most evangelism happens is we share what God has done for us, right? It's like a testimonial type of evangelism. When we share our faith, we share of what kind of thing God has done for us, how he delivered us from a certain problem. But I have yet to see a type of evangelism that focuses on the resurrection. Well, because I think while we're comfortable talking about personal testimonies, or even conceptual understanding about God. We kind of shy away from, from talking about the resurrection of the dead because some parts, of our, some parts of our minds, we think this is too impossible to believe. And this is the type of issue that the Corinthians were having, right? Some of the Christ Corinthian Christians were doubting the resurrection. They became Christians. They, I mean, clearly, there was something attractive about the Christian message that made these Corinthians be part of that church. These people were from pagan worshiping backgrounds, and they turned away from their pagan worshiping ways, right? And they decided to join this church. And there must be re valid reasons of why they joined this church. Maybe they liked 
you know, the idea of a mon like a monotheistic one God. Maybe they like the discipline, right? The, the discipline involved in Christian living, such as abstaining from certain practices, right? Being faithful to your wife, that kind of a thing. So while they were attracted to certain aspects of Christianity, when it came down to the fact, when it, when it come down to the issue of the resurrection of the dead, they rejected it. And these Christians, these um, these Corinthian churchgoers, rejected the resurrection. I think for primarily two main reasons. Number one, they rejected it because most of them are from Greek culture, Greek philosophy. And according to the Greek philosophy, um, Greek Greek philosophy has a it has it has a very low view of of the human body. So these Corinthians, right, were exposed to this philosophy that had a very low view of the human body. Greek philosophy says it is the soul that is pure. It is the body that is dirty. So th these Corinthians couldn't really accept the fact that Jesus would allow us to come after saving us, Jesus would allow us to return to, to, this, to this low body. They have an idea of salvation as their spirits being set free from their bodies, right? They view these bodies as like a prison, right? And they think Jesus has set us free from this human body. But when Paul says, no, your bodies will be raised, they were thinking, why would Jesus have us go back to this evil form of body? They didn't understand that. By the way, this notion that the body is evil, the spirit is good, this notion, this idea, is the idea that is prevalent in Buddhism, right? Because Buddhism is, you know, like, if you live a righteous life, then you'll be set free from this organic existence. That's what Buddhism is about. And that's what also um, Hinduism is about, right? Like Hindus also believe that the human body is evil and true salvation is being set free from this body. And that's where the practice of yoga comes from. Like the, the, the yoga was stemmed from the idea that if you like, you know, are, are, are rigorous in your body, right? Like if you're, if you contort your body in such a way, then your spirit will be set free for a moment from this body. And so this dual nature of body is bad, spirit is good, that is prevalent and still in all of the religions today, but it was especially prevalent in Greek culture. So these Corinthians couldn't understand why Jesus would have us return back to our bodies. And the second issue that they have a problem with, the reason why the Corinthians couldn't really believe in the resurrection is because it seemed illogical, it seems impossible, right? It seemed that it is a make-believe. Because logically, how can the dead come back to life? It doesn't make any sense. And like I said before, I think there's a part of us that kind of recognizes maybe the foolishness of believing in a resurrection, right? So I was watching a debate between a, a Christian 
uh, apologist. Apologists are, are someone who defends the faith. So I was watching a debate between a Christian and an atheist. And the Christ, and they were discussing, debating the existence of God through you know, philosophical categories, right? So the Christian would give very logical explanations of why the existence of God, why, why God exists, right? And the atheist was refuting. So they were going back and forth, back and forth. And they were discussing it in a very ideological category. Then the atheist during the you know um, rebuttal session asked the Christian apologist simply this he simply asked the Christian you say you believe in all these categories but I want to ask you do you actually believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and three days later he rose from the dead do you really believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? Not only do you, do you believe Jesus physically rose from the dead, do you believe that you too will rise from the dead? The atheist asked the Christian point blank, do you believe in a physical resurrection? The Christian atheist, and I'm sorry, the Christian apologist, who, were, who was very passionate about defending God with philosophical categories, was taken aback by this question. He hesitated. He answered the question, but it wasn't as convincing as his answers when he was asked answering you know, philosophical questions about God. His answer was weak in this, about this question. And the reason is, in the back of his mind, like in the back of our mind, the belief in the resurrection seems foolish, impossible. That's why the Corinthians, some Corinthians couldn't believe. Paul's rebuttal to their, to their, you know, unbelief, I think we basically covered in like, you know, last week. He calls such unbelieving Corinthians fools. He calls resurrection deniers fools, right? He wasn't gentle with them. He wasn't kind to them. He, he didn't try to explain it, or he did explain it to them. But first and foremost, he called them fools for denying the resurrection. He called them fools for two main reasons. Number one, he called them fools because the resurrection deniers did not believe God was able to do this. They doubted the power of God. By denying whether God can raise people from the dead, they were denying the power of God. Um, in verse 38 of last week's verse, it says, but God gives, um, gives, you know, a seed, a body, and as he determined, and in each kind of seed, he gives his own body. In verse 38, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, Every seed that dies and becomes bloomed and then grows into a, an amazing plant, God determines like, what kind of plant those seeds will become. He is through this verse, he is telling the Corinthians, God is the power, God determines all things. Everything is determined by God, everything is determined by the power of God. And if you're doubting in the resurrection, you are doubting whether God can do this. 
doubting in God's power is foolish. Who is God? As we said in the call of worship, God is the one who created all things with his voice. With his voice echoing throughout the, like the universe. Matter came into being. Time and space were created. Everything that is happened through the voice of God. He made man through dust of the earth. Everything unfolds according to his power. Paul is saying, if God can do these things, what makes you think that God cannot raise the dead? You having the resurrection deniers had a very small view of God's power. That is why Paul calls them foolish. The biblical definition of a fool is number one, a person who denies that there is a God. Right? Unbelievers are fools because they deny that there is a God. But a second type of fool are those who deny God's power. The question we ask ourselves this morning is, are you a fool? Am I a fool for doubting, denying God's power? Christians, if we are Christian, we are became Christian because the voice of God resurrected our dead spirits. We are where we are. We believe in the invisible God. We believe that Jesus Christ died for us. We believe that we are made alive in him. Why? Because we heard God's voice in the preaching of the gospel. He changed our dead souls through his voice. Couldn't this God do all things? Couldn't this God provide for your needs? Couldn't this God direct your footsteps in this world? Couldn't this God resurrect you from the dead? Do you believe in the power of God? Power of God, not in that, you know, him, like we, we believe in God's power when he acts in accordance to the way we want him to act. Thinking that God is powerful because he's acting the way we want him to act, that's not believing in God's power. That's superstition, right? Superstition is believing that God's going to do everything your way. That's superstition. That's not, same, that's not the same thing as believing in God's power. Believing in God's power is the ability to believe that he can do all things. Do you believe he can do all things? If so, why are you not praying? Why are you not depending upon him for all things? The second, Paul addresses the second of their doubts. The Corinthians are doubting whether God can do it because it seems illogical and impossible. It doesn't make sense. But Paul is saying, look at the nature, right? Look at nature. These small, small seeds, when they fall into the ground and dies, God raises those seeds up to, to, to and they become amazing life-generating, life-giving plants and trees. This kind of thing happens all the time. We are surrounded, right, by seeds dying and being raised up again. 
By the way, that's how the world is sustained, right? All the foods that we eat, the air that we breathe, is because seeds die and rise up again. How many seeds die and rise up again in a given year? It is, it is, it is incalculable. You can't calculate it. You can search Google, Google how many seeds die a year on, earth, on the earth and rise up again. Google cannot give you that answer because it is too numerous. Every part of the world, every point of existence is surrounded by evidence that seeds die and are rise up again. Paul is calling them fools because look around you. These things, things dying and being raised up again, happens all the time. You're surrounded by it. So not believing in the resurrection, Paul says, is foolish. And then in today's verse, Paul addresses, you know, one of the objections of the Corinthians who say they don't believe in the resurrection. Because not only is it impossible, they don't, they can't grab their head around the fact. That when we believe in Christ, Christ is going to raise up our physical bodies. And they were wondering, what type of bodies are we going to have? Because they think it seems impossible that a, pe that a person who rot on rot, rot underneath, right, in their graves, can rise up and become a whole person again. So they were wondering, what type of body are we going to have? And that's the issue that Paul ad addresses today. So Paul, by trying to explain the type of body that we're going to have in, a, in, in the resurrection, Paul makes, Paul says basically, like Paul says, human beings basically have two types of bodies, right? The type of body, the first type of body is the body that is sown, which is our natural body. Right, like Paul in verses forty-two and on, contrasts. There's two types of bodies: those that, that those bodies that are sown and those bodies that are be raised up again. So Paul is saying there's only two types of bodies, right? Um, verse forty-two: What is sown is perishable; what is raised is imperishable. So there is a body that is sown, and there's a body that is raised up. The body that is sown is our natural body, the so bodies that we have right now. And the bodies that we be raised up will be our resurrected bodies. So in order to describe the type of body that we will have, Paul contrasts the body that we have right now to the body that we will have in the future. Verses 42 to 44, Paul makes four distinctions between the body that we have now, the body that is sown, and the body that is going to be raised up. 42, it says, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. He's, he's saying the body that we have right now is perishable, but the body that we will have will be imperishable. The body that we have right now is dishonor, dishonor is, is of dishonor, but the body that we will raise will be a body of glory. The body that we have right now is a body of weakness, but the body that we will have in the future is a body of power. The body that we have right now is a natural body, the body that we will have in the future is a spiritual body. So to describe what type of body that we have, Paul makes, a Paul makes these four contrasts with the body that we have right now. 
Let's talk about the first type, first contrast. Paul says in verse 22, the body that we have is perishable. What does the word perishable mean? Perishable means perishable means is it, it's it, it has the ability to die, right? That's what perishable means. More specifically, perishable means that that right now we are in the process of decay. Right. So, you know, if you put food in the refrigerator and if you don't take it out or freeze it or something, it's going to start to decay. Right. If you leave food in the kitchen counter, it's going to start to decay. Bacteria are going to come and it's starting to rot. So when Paul says, you know, our bodies are perishable, he means our current body that we have right now are going through a process of decay. So recent data, right? The question is, why do we age? Why do we die when we age? What's the cause of death? We die because as we grow older, our cells fail to multiply and function properly. As we age, our cellular function starts to deteriorate. It starts to rot and decay. That's why we die. And physically, we experience that, right? There's things that I could do when I was in my teens that I cannot do now, right? And I was talking to one of the brothers yesterday, and he's a pretty relatively young guy, but he's having a he's having back problems. He didn't have back problems when he was younger. But now he's developing more aches. That's evidence of bodies starting to deteriorate. Right? I can't eat what I used to eat when I was a kid and, 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 and you know, not affect me. And it's going, and the process of decay is going to go worse and worse as I grow older. All of us are in the process of decay. Romans chapter 8, all of creation is growing in bondage to decay. Our bodies right now is subject to decay, is decaying right now as we speak. And it's going to, de and the, 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 the decay will accelerate when we go in our graves. When we are put into our graves, right? We're really going to start deteriorating. So that's our physical bodies. We start to decay. Not only is our spiritual body in the process of decaying, our spiritual bodies, not, not the spiritual body that Jesus talks about, but even our, our souls that we have right now is also subject to decay. Every time we sin, and every time someone sins against us, our souls start to decay. The example of this is there's a book written by Oscar Wilde, The Picture of Dorian Gray. And Dorian Gray, right, is this really good-looking man, and he makes a deal with the devil, basically. And the deal is he's going to – his physical body is not going to age. He's still going to be beautiful. But there's a portrait of him, like this picture of him. Even though his physicality will remain the same, every time he sins, the picture is going to get, like, scarred and marred. And then towards the end of the book – Dorian Gray looks at himself, looks at the portrait of himself, and he realizes after those years of sinning, 
His, ref his reflection in the picture is that of an old scarred man. The point, the point Oscar Wilde is trying to make is this. Every time we sin, every time sin is, every time someone sins against us, we are scarred. Our spirits are scarred. And I think if we have the ability to take out our souls and look at it, I believe each one of our souls will be filled with so million thousands and thousands of scars i think all of us have scarred filled souls because of what we have done and because of what others have done to us the whole psychological psychology industry is based on the fact that people have wronged others and we are damaged because others have wronged us and psychologists make money of trying to undo this pain the other people has caused us. All of us have scar-filled souls. Our bodies decaying, our souls are decaying. That is what we have right now. But Paul says in verse 42, even though what we have is perishable, we will be raised imperishable which means our resurrected bodies will no longer have scars. It will be free from those scars. Not only that, our resurrected body is imperishable. Our resurrection body we will not decay anymore. We'll be new forever. I know some of us have carry a lot of burden in life. And we made a lot of mistakes and things, awful things have, done, have been done to us. But Paul is saying, those scars are not, will not be with you forever. That broken body will not be with you forever. In a matter of time, you, there will be no scars for you. In a matter of time, you will no longer be in physical pain. Your new body will be pristine, scar-free, healthy forever. That's the body that we're going to have. The second body, the second contrast that Paul makes is verse 43. So our current body is dishonorable, but our future body will be glorious. What does Paul mean when he says our body is in dishonor? I mean, common sense speaking, the older you become, right, the less honorable society will treat you. I, I think that's true. The world values youth, innovation, right, and energy. It doesn't value age people. Paulina Parscalva is was one of the, you know, she was the most famous model, supermodel in the 1980s, right? Like there was no one more beautiful, more successful in modeling wise than her. But I recently saw an interview with her and she says, even though I was this person to be admired in my 20s, in my 50s, I discover that once a woman hits 50, 
society easily dismisses them. Once she was, her beauty was to be praised. Now she's dismissed because she's old, she says. And I think that's true. The older you become, the less relevant that you become in society. I think you'd be very, it'd be more difficult for me to find a new job now, like not pastor wise, but even maybe pastor wise. It'd be new, more difficult for me to find new positions, new jobs right now, because I'm older. I think recruiters love people in their late 20s, in their 30s, because they have that youthful energy. But when you're 50 and older, you're less valuable to society. When you're old, you know, for those of you with grandparents would know, people would rather forget you and not listen to you. So it's true, the older you become, the less honorable that you will be in the eyes of society. But that is not what Paul is talking about here. When Paul says our body is dishonored, he's talking about the body that we have is not the body that it was intended to be. The body that God created us to have initially was a body of glory in that we were called, that our bodies was, to, was, called, was made to reflect the glorious image of God. Our bodies was like, you know, you know, like contained, I think, the treasure and the goodness of God. And our bodies radiate with God's glory. That's how what, what, we're, what we're supposed to how we're supposed to be made. But because of Adam's rebellion and because of our sins, our bodies do not reflect God's glory because of our sins. Our sins are making our bodies dishonorable, not consistent with the way we, God has made us. Sin, right, is a dishonoring thing. When we sin, it causes dishonor to us. And the best way to, best example of this is, I saw like a documentary with Tiger Woods, right? And in the documentary, Tiger Woods, it covered Tiger Woods' you know, scandal. When the world discovered Tiger Woods' you know, issues with women, Tiger Woods held a press conference. And the whole world was watching, witnessing a man admitting to his sins. And you could see the look of humiliation and shame in Tiger Woods' face. Sin, when it's discovered, is, puts us in a very dishonorable state. As I was watching the documentary, the only difference between Tiger Woods and me is that the world has not discovered my sins. My sins have not been made public. If it is, if they are, then I will be put to shame. Sin has a way of dishonoring us. Sin, as, sin is, we become dishonorable because of our sins and our bodies are, are, do not radiate the glory of God because of our sins. But Paul is saying, in the future, 
our bodies because we are forgiven in Christ. We will, we will no longer be dishonorable. Because we're made, we're forgiven and made righteous in Christ, our bodies will, will return to what, what they were intended to be, to reflect God's glory. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43, Jesus says, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Jesus is saying, he will make us righteous. When he makes us righteous by forgiving our sins and making us children of God, then we will start to radiate God's glory again. That's what Paul is saying in verse 43. Even though right now our body is in dishonor because of our sins, when we are raised, we'll be made, we will reflect the righteousness and the glory of God, and we will shine brightly. We will be raised in glory. Verse 43, Paul says, The body that we have right now is sown in weakness, but it is raised in power. We are we, Our bodies are weak, let's be honest. Our bodies right now are incredibly weak. Our bodies, first of all, are amazing organic, uh, organic, what, what do you call it? Like entities, I guess. The human body, it's marvelously designed, right? Um, for example, like the human cell, each human cell is so intricately designed, so in complete complex ways. The scientists right now cannot figure out how cells work. Cells replicate cells, right? Can heal cells, deliver information. Our cells are just amazing pieces of reality. And, and in us, every human being has 37.2 trillion cells. Our bodies are made up, this, are made up of these amazing 37.2 trillion cells. We are magnificently designed. But we are also very weak. As Paul Washer says, there's only three holes, right, in our bodies that makes us alive. If we cover the two, three holes in our faces, our nose and our mouth, we die in within five, within like what, five minutes? Even though we're wonderfully made, we're incredibly weak. Small viruses can kill us. Not only are we physically weak, right? We are also very spiritually weak. In that, even though we know what right or wrong is, we know what good and evil is, our weakness is in the fact that even though we may be able to discern what right and wrong is, we cannot do good all the time. In fact, most of the time, even though we know what the right thing to do is, we choose evil over good. Our inability to choose right over good, our inability to choose right over wrong, that, that's what makes us weak. We're physically weak. We're morally weak. We're spiritually weak. We are, we are powerless people. But Paul says in the future, our body will be raised in power. The bodies that we have in the future will be that of power. What kind of power is Paul talking about? It's not clear. Will we be strong as Samson? Maybe. Will we be able to 
you know, you know, roll back heavy like boulders like the angel did when you know when Jesus by Jesus' tomb? Maybe. We don't know what this power is, but the idea of power can maybe come from maybe we can see from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 to 31. It says, God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So I think what, what Paul could mean when he says our future bodies will be powerful, it may mean that it will not break down. It will always have this constant source of powerful energy to about, about, about it. So the body that we will have is this never getting weary, always have this renewed power-like ability. That's the future body that awaits. But also, the future body that we will have is we will also be morally powerful. We will not only know what right and wrong is, but we'll be able to choose right over wrong every time. We will no longer struggle with sin. We will no longer be tempted to choose evil over good because we are because of our power, we have the ability to do good all the time. What we are is weak. But what we will be raised, but we, but we will be raised in power. Verse 44. What we have right now is a natural body. But what we will be raised would be raised with a spiritual body. The natural body that Paul talks about in verse 44 is the body that we have right now because we're connected to Adam. Adam is the prototype of the body that we have right now. But that's the natural body. The spiritual body is the body that we will have when we are raised from raised to life. The spiritual, the, and Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is the prototype of the spiritual body. So there's two types of bodies, like I said before. There's a natural body that we got, we, we, we have right now because of our connection with Adam. But we will also have a spiritual body that we will have because of our connection with Christ. Verse 44, if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So what Paul is saying here is, let's make it clear. You will have a spiritual body. The spiritual body that you will have, you will have some, some of, it will be a body. It will be a visible, like, visible type of body. But it will be different from the natural body that you have right now. Because the body that you have right now is the, 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 the perishable, the dishonorable, the weak body that you have right now. You have it because... Of, our, of your connection with Adam. But the future body, the imperishable, glorious, powerful body, you will get because of your connection with Christ. Paul is saying, it is not a given thing, right, for everyone to have spiritual bodies in the future. Not everyone will have a spiritual body in the future. It is, the, it is only those who, have, who are connected to Christ will have spiritual bodies. Once again, Jesus, the risen Jesus, is a prototype of the spiritual body. And it is only those who are in him 
will get the spiritual body that is imperishable, glorious, and powerful. People who will not, who are not connected to Christ, this body will, will, will be the all that they have. This, this perishable, this honorable, weak body is the only that will body that will have, and they will, and their body will perish if they are not in Christ. We have the good news of being a Christian is that yes, this living with this fallen body and this fallen spirit causes us much pain right now. It's a much struggle to live in this existence. But Paul is saying, this is only temporary. What is waiting for you is this glorious body, spiritual body. But you can only get the spiritual body if you're connected with Christ. The question we ask ourselves this morning is, are you sure that you're going to be raised up with a spiritual body? Or will you perish? But if we're raised up with Christ, then the, then the present suffering, what we're going through right now, is nothing compared to the riches that are awaits for us in heaven. As you review these verses, examine your life. Are you connected with Adam or are you connected with Christ? The type of body that you will get hinges on this answer. These verses also motivate us to do evangelism. Because our friends and families who are not believers, right, are destined to just only be stuck with this natural body that we have. And this spiritual body that awaits will not be their destiny. And that's what we need to evangelize and pray for them. I pray that these verses will give us a sense of urgency to evangelize so that people around us, God can use us to resurrect the dead, right? Resurrect the currently people who are currently dead right now. Let us pray for these things. Lord, we want to think that the present state of things is a permanent, permanent state. We want to believe and think that what we are right now, it's, it's all we have. That is not true. What we have, Lord, are fading shadows. What we will be in our spiritual bodies, that's the eternity. That's the significance, Lord. We get so distraught and tied up to the concerns of this world to the point where we lose vision of what is to come. Father, we pray 
that you give us a certainty of the vision of the world to come and what we will be. Father, Paul risked his life. Paul poured out his life for you. Paul faced dangers every day because he had hope, because he knew this, he will be raised up in a spiritual body. That was the motivation of his life here. In our short life here, may we, all of us have similar motivation. May we not get too tied up by building treasures and security in this world. But Father, may we pr frame our time and resources properly by knowing, Lord, that future glory, that true glory and security comes in the future. And may this understanding allow us to be more bold for you, be more risky for you, be more generous for you. Father, I pray for those of us who are tied to Adam and not to Christ. Whether they be a people who are listening to this sermon or whether they be a people who that you know in our families. They are those, Lord, who are still tied to Adam and who are destined to perish with their bodies, with their natural bodies, and not be raised up with their spiritual bodies. We pray, dear Lord, that may they not perish. Lord, but may you, may you through using us, Lord, may we evangelize them. Give us the opportunity and the confidence to evangelize to the lost so that through our evangelism, they will be saved so that they will be raised up on your return. May we not waste opportunities for evangelism, but Father, may we do it with a sense of urgency. Lord, I pray that you will, for those of us who are suffering right now, I pray that you convince us of your power. I pray that you that, that nature and the fact that we are in the presence of your sovereignty, may that be the encouragement, Lord, the hope that they will rely on as they go through these uncertain times. For those of us, Lord, who have failing health or parents with failing health, Father, we pray that you will give us hope in that, Lord, that their failing bodies is not the eternal destiny, that your raised body, the body that you will raise up, Lord, is there that eternal destiny, and may this hope be properly communicated to those who are ailing. Father, we pray that you provide those of us who are jobless, that you will encourage those of us who are distraught, that you continually infuse your life to our church. All these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.